Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Today, we're very pleased to have in our studio Maddie Dightwall, the author of Influence, How Women's Soaring Economic Power Will Transform Our World for the Better. She is in the studio with me today. Maddie, welcome to the program. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Can you share with us, you have a a very, very uh, impressive background. Can you share with our audience um, your background and how you got started into writing about these topics? Uh, Sure, and it's a pretty eclectic background. Uh, Like many women, I've reinvented myself several times during my career. Uh, But for the last 25 years, I've been very involved in looking at future trends, particularly when it comes to the demographic shifts and what that means for business. Now, that sounds really complicated and like maybe even bean counting, but really what we're talking about is what is the direction of growth and change in terms of our population when we look into the future. And the one trend that we've looked at primarily has been the aging of the population and what that means for business, for life, for our future. And uh, what's pretty interesting is that that baby boom generation, of which I know I'm a part of, maybe you are too, uh, is 78 million strong. It's one-third of our entire population. That's been sort of our sweet spot. So that's where I've been spending my time. And, you know, of course, that brings us to the whole concept of reinvention. And um, and I will add, it also brings us to the topic of women, believe it or not. Even though that may seem like a stretch, it's not. And um, your book, Influence, um, what motivated you to... To, to do this book. Now, was it you had a research project that said, wow, this research project is very interesting. I want to talk more about this topic. But what prompted you to, to write this book about women and their influence on the world's economy? Okay, well, that's a great question. And I have three things that I'll tell you that feed into the answer. Uh, for one, uh, we did, my company, H-Wave, we were commissioned by PBS to do a PBS special a couple years back uh, called The Boomer Century that was about baby boomers. And through the process of doing this PBS special, we had the great fortune to speak to some of the top leaders that were part of the baby boom generation, men, women, and both men and women to a person said to us when we asked them, what was the biggest change that the baby boom generation has brought to the world to date? Each and every one of them said the role of women in our society. And so that was number one. Uh, Number two, we had a client, a financial services client, come to us and say, please do a research study because we do primary research on women, money, and power. And we turned around and we said, you know, there's probably better companies to do that than us because it's not really our kind of sweet spot. And they turned around and they said, you know, because it's not, you're going to be more objective about this information. So that made us want to do it too. Then thirdly, in the process of doing this research study, I was sitting in focus groups. And I was sitting in the focus groups, believe it or not, I brought my daughter, who at the time was about 16 years old, and we're sitting there and we were listening to women speak. And I was struck by the fact that After thousands of years of economic dependency, each and every one of the women sitting out there was financially independent in one form or another. And I realized that would be a great jumping off point for a book. So I was hooked. And, you know, my mother um, 
we had a grocery store which she ran and my mother had a ninth grade education so when I had the opportunity of, of meeting you in person uh, for that uh, session uh, with the other folks from around the industry uh, it was very it was very Im Im impressive to see that my mother is just one of many many stories that um, that we have about women influence your first chapter power shift on the horizon share some very inspiring stories about women who have transcended their family's economic power can you share with the audience um, the story about Joan and I want to say her name correctly it's Ahim Biswey. Yeah, it's it's uh, she's Ugandan. From Ugandan. So yes. let's let's be clear about that. So it's right. not an easy name, but it's Ahim Bizib. Yes. Uh, and she's actually a pretty remarkable woman. Um, she's an HIV positive mother of three. Uh, for most of her life, she's lived on less than a dollar a day, and that's you know that's wow. not made up. That's what mm -hmm. she did, uh, which is. Even in Uganda, not even a level of survival, uh, not enough to feed her family or buy school uniforms so that she can send her kids to school. So it was pretty dire circumstances that Joan lived in. And um, certainly it wasn't enough to make any kind of an investment in her future. Uh, and an investment in her future might be something as simple as buying a piglet to resell, as simple as that. Right. sounds. But Joan's life was changed forever by two women from the United States. They were from Colorado, uh, Ginny Gordon and Torkin Wakefield, and they were visiting Uganda on a vacation, and they were touring her village, and they saw Joan and a bunch of other women mm -hmm. taking recycled magazine paper and creating these gorgeous beads out of that recycled. How did, how did they do I that? I know. <laughs> For the life of me, I can't really figure it yes. out. But they couldn't either, and they were so taken by it that they bought a bunch of the beads, a bunch of necklaces, brought them back to Colorado. Long story short, their friends admired them, and they decided that they were going to try to market these beads and then take the money, send it back to Uganda. And through Tupperware kind of parties, right. you know, in-home parties, <clears throat> mm -hmm. they actually did quite well. And then they created a website and started selling the beads through that. And because of that, they started a nonprofit called Beads for Life. And they sell these beads, and they were able to send the money back to Joan, who now, as a result of Torkin and Ginny's work, makes makes five to six dollars a day, which, by the way, is about the same as what an Ugandan policeman makes. Wow. And it allowed her enough financial stability so that she could, in fact, save enough to buy that piglet I referred to earlier, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also, to move her family to a storefront, which, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but, right. you know, that was a huge deal. Even right. to buy mattresses for the first time in her life, she did not sleep in the streets. Wow. Yeah, and her kids did not have to sleep in a mud hut. Right. They were actually sleeping in a storefront, wow. which was huge and allowed her not only to mm -hmm. sell that piglet for big profits, right. but also to sell sugar and vegetables through the storefront. And this allowed her to break the cycle of poverty for her family because she could afford to buy those school uniforms to send her children, and particularly her daughter, mm -hmm. to school. Wow. And you know, it changed her life and her family's life forever. Which, by the way, what I that love about tremendous. this story is not only is it great that Joan's life was changed, but it was changed by two you know, very normal kinds of women living in Colorado. And this kind of thing we see happening all the time. Women of financial independence helping women move out of financial dependency to 
levels of survival, which I would call the first stage of economic empowerment, to levels of financial independence, and even to levels of financial influence. And you've just described the uh, three stages of economic power. That's right. Could you elaborate on those a little bit more? Because I I found those to be... um, very uh, interesting and, 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 and somewhat similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but, but, <laughs> but much more defined to... Uh, yeah, and in fact, I was inspired by Maslow. <clears throat> uh, I was looking for some kind of a, uh, a model, really, to put economic empowerment into for women. And not to say that men don't need one also, because men could probably use one as well. But I wanted one that really worked for women because, again, women have historically been economically dependent. And you have to take a first step. And I saw it as a pyramid in my mind because the largest, that large end of the pyramid at the bottom, that's where women start out. And that's what I called survival. That's when women can take care of the basics, you know, Uh, put a roof over their head, clothes on their backs and the backs of their children and food on the table. And that's good. That's the first step. Uh, The second step because there are three stages of economic empowerment, is financial independence. And that's when women have just a little bit more, maybe can buy some luxuries, maybe even help another woman, uh, and have enough to maybe move to a better neighborhood to send their kids to better school, maybe even private school. The idea is that they're not living from hand to mouth anymore. They're at a place where they can gain control over their own financial life. And the good news is we see a lot of women moving into this place of financial independence. And that's never happened before. That's good news. That's very good news. Yes. Yes. And the top of the pyramid, smaller. That's what I call influence. And what I believe is that since we've seen a critical mass of women move to financial independence, that second stage of financial empowerment, over the next several decades, we are going to see more and more women move to financial influence, not just taking control of their own financial lives, but influencing the way the world works at large. We're seeing the early signs of that, by the well, way, well, already. You know, I don't know if you, you know this, but I'm on the board of the Women's Ventures Fund here oh, in great. the New York area. and. Uh, I've been on the board for the last six years. The Women's Ventures Fund has been around for the last 10 years, helping women to get started in business, to do microloans and provide training. And uh, so everything that you're saying is resonating uh, so well with me because it's true. And you find that um, as I counsel our clients who are women, because uh, I offer free, free business advice, um, I find that they're much more determined to be successful and also much more focused than men. Now, my men listeners don't kill me, but <laughs> but that's what I've witnessed. And well, women have some catching up to do. You know, they don't have the history with money and even with working out. Now, I want to be clear about this. Women have always worked. There's no question about that. But they were generally confined over, you know, generally through history to working either in the home or at low-paying jobs. And this has just changed recently. And one of the big changes, and this is one that's been inspired by baby boomer women, uh, is the idea that they got that education. And that education has really been the key that has unlocked the door to women entering the workforce, doing well in the workforce, so that this year, it's it's historic, really. Uh, 2010, the very first time we see more women than men in the workforce. Wow. Wow. It's huge. Well, you know, in, in your book, and we're going to talk about 
this in a little bit later about the changing roles for, for men. Um, and I can share some of my experience because <laughs> I have a 13-year-old and uh, I've been working out of the home for the last uh, three years, which changed the dynamic around because my wife went back to work. And I actually started to learn how to cook, believe it or not. Oh, I bet you're great. Well, no one has died yet. So, <laughs> But um, how do you define influence? I mean, when you think about influence, influence can come in many different flavors. But in the spirit of your book, how do you, def- how do you define influence? Okay, great question. Uh, you know, I was thinking of it, frankly, in terms of power to begin with. And if you go through my book, you'll notice that there's, I interviewed over 100 women for the book, and women who were amazing. And the word power kept coming up, but they kept taking that concept of power, which is very personal, very sort of me-oriented, sort of owning, controlling, having power. And they kept sort of evolving that power and turning it into what I would think of as influence, which begins with power, but I believe emanates and becomes something bigger so that it's not just personal, it's just not controlling that big power thing, (laughs) but instead taking that power and sort of distributing it out there into the world, into the politics, into the family, into positions of leadership, and being very generous with it so that it's a win for them and a win for everyone else. And that was the power that I saw women having, which in fact, when I began to talk about it with the publisher and with my editor, we started realizing, no, this isn't power per se. This is more influence. It's a more female word, frankly. And let's let's talk about your study, um, the gender, money, and power. The study, um, you alluded earlier in our discussion uh, how the study came about, and this study was prompted by a financial services firm. That's right. Yes. Um, in fact, it was Allianz, which is a global firm, not that focused in the United States at this point, but they wanted to get to the bottom of understanding this. Let me add that lots of companies, especially financial service companies, recognize that the new economic engine of the future is women. And so, yeah, they want to understand them. But what they've done a great job of is getting the facts and figures. We weren't that interested in just getting the facts and figures. They're important, but they're out there. We wanted to see what do the facts and figures add up to? What makes women really different than the consumer marketplace of men? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, the key findings, there were three key findings that you had um, that come out of the study. Um, I'd like to explore those a little bit with okay. you. The first one was that uh, money means security to women. It means freedom to men. Yeah, that's crazy, huh? (laughs) Uh, You know, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Again, we interviewed thousands of people, about 2,500 people to be precise, all over the country. Mm -hmm. And we were really taken by the fact, both in focus groups, discussion groups, and in surveys, uh, the reports came back the same. Women wanted what we thought of as financial peace of mind. Uh, Men wanted to have some freedom, have some fun, uh, toys for boys, if you will. It was just what came back. Right. (laughs) You know, I don't think that's bad news. It's just kind of how the two genders look at things differently. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely right. And finding number two was um, what a difference an A makes, warrior versus warriors. Yeah, and I think this also has to do with the fact that men have a stronger, longer history with men. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they know how to deal with money. So they see themselves as warriors. I mean, even if they don't have a financial background, even if they weren't taught anything about money, they go in, you know, full guns loaded, ready to just blast it off and, and take over. Uh, women are much more pensive, a little bit more worried, if you will. They're mm-hmm. afraid. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, one of the more interesting findings that we discovered along the way was that women, no matter how much money they made during their lifetime, they were very afraid that they would end up with nothing at all, sort of on the street. And I think we've all heard stories about that. But what was particularly interesting is when we looked at women who made more than $100,000 a year, they were the most worried about ending ending up with nothing at all. Mm. So they their concern about finding financial security and peace of mind was the number one priority for them. So the idea of, you know, bulls and bears, it doesn't really resonate with them. So Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. even the languaging of financial services and financial advisors in order to reach out to women who, by the way, buy more than half of all stocks and bonds, that those phrases, that language, it just doesn't resonate with them. You know, something that you just said I didn't realize, and that um, women buy more than 50% of the stocks and bonds. That's right. Wow. And is that ha- when did that uh, hit the 50% mark? Around what year? Do you- well, it's been going on <clears throat> for the last five to six years, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, women, by the way, are responsible for 83% of all consumer purchases mm-hmm. in the United States. Now, that's remarkable. What's not remarkable, I guess, is women have always bought things. Mm-hmm. So, big surprise, right? Right. But right. what is surprising is that when it comes to those decision domains that are sort of large purchases, mm-hmm. stocks and bonds, mm-hmm. life insurance, right. uh, real estate, what else out cars you know mm-hmm. the the general marketplace in those industries is geared up to really deal with men well right but if if the number is beyond 50% you would think that the smart marketing people would say boy, we really need to change our approach and change the flavor of our commercials. You would think, yeah. Well, they are changing some of their commercials. So that's good news. I mean, it is a step in the right direction. But if you look a little bit more closely into the industry, let's just take autos and financial services. In the auto industry, only 10% of all auto dealerships are owned by women. Right. And so, of course, right away, women walk into a car dealership, and even the people who work there, it's primarily men. And, they, you know, they may mean well, but they don't know how. It's not in their DNA. Mm-hmm. They haven't been taught. And, frankly, that's beginning to happen, but it's happening very slowly. Right, right, right. Well, it needs to happen faster. It, it does need to happen faster. I remember selling retail when I was in uh, college in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and... Um, one thing I learned right away was that when a husband and wife came in, the husband didn't want to be there, and the wife wanted to really uh, make sure the husband had the right type of clothes. So I focused on the wife and uh, ended up selling quite a bit of clothing <laughs> over the, over the, over the next smart. three years. And, <laughs> you probably got good commissions. Uh, well, you know, we were just, uh, unfortunately, hourly wage. <laughs> but... Um, but I, I guess I learned it because my mother, working with my mother uh, in the grocery store, oftentimes you would have different salespeople to come into the store, and they would ask, well, um, where's the owner of the store? My mother would say, I am the owner. How may I help you? 
And then the salesperson would go, oh, you know, they would have this. And this was in the, the 60s and, mm-hmm. and 70s. But after one meeting with my mother, they, they know who was in charge. I bet they did. And I'm sure they tried to figure out how to please that woman who was your mother. I right. mean, they didn't right. just say, okay, she's the same as a guy, only I just need to say miss or missus instead right. of right. mister. I mean... Things are, women look at the world slightly differently. You know, not all women, but most women look at things a little bit differently. You know, the world of financial services is a great example. Mm-hmm. I mean, women are new to money and new to investing, and they're a little less sure of the steps to take. And what they do know is they want to be involved. And one of the big mistakes that financial advisors make is if a husband and wife come in, for instance, they'll focus all the attention on the male. Or just, you know, in a very sort of, you know, they'll be friendly to the wife, but they'll put the important concepts and ideas to the husband. And that can be so off-putting. Yes, 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 it can. Um, My wife and I, uh, Deb, we've been in several situations where the salesperson would, would be, would do that at a car automobile deal, and I and I said, listen, uh, she's here to buy a car. I'm I'm just here to, you know, to help out. So you need to direct your questions to my wife, and then the salesperson will go, oh, oh, okay, you know. But you're right; they 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 have to make that switch, but they shouldn't need to do it so so overtly. It should be natural, and I think it's it comes down to uh, common respect, you might say. That's definitely part of it. I think that the the whole world of financial services needs to take a look at the women's market because it is the largest emerging market that they right. face right now and realize that, first of all, women are not all the same. Right. I mean, they come right. in all different sizes, shapes, uh, interests. So, you know, you can't just do quote unquote pink marketing and think that that's going to work. If anything, that's oftentimes offensive. If that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And your book, when when I know it was when I had met, it hadn't it hadn't been published yet, but that's it's right. out now, correct? It yeah. is. It's out now, and it's in stores, and uh, it's and just, it's published by uh, it's Hyperion, Hyperion Voice Voice Hyperion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how's the book doing so far? Uh, so far, you know, I've knock on wood, it's doing really well. I think, you know, people are again interested not just in the facts and figures, but the stories and having interviewed over a hundred phenomenal women. Uh, there's so many great stories that just bring those numbers alive and make us really see what the future may look like. And, you know, give me your thoughts on uh, leadership. Um, what is What are the important traits that you have seen in regards to leadership that have come out of the women that you have interviewed? What are some of the, the, their common leading characteristics? Well, let me put this into a context for you. I think that what's kind of interesting is back in the 1980s when women were first entering into the workforce, they were trying to fit in. They were trying to fit in and not stand out. In fact, try to behave, quote unquote, kind of like men so that they could find ways to succeed in the models that were out there right now. What women have discovered over time is that fitting in isn't going to work. Uh, Women are never going to be men with different genitalia. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Uh, Instead, what we see is women coming into their own, Mm -hmm. uh, gaining the education they need to succeed, gaining the skill set they need to succeed, and bringing their special brand of leadership to the table. So, for instance, what we see happening is when women are in positions of leadership, they use their communication skills very effectively. Uh, They're very collaborative. And collaboration and, and communication 
education. These are two skill sets that are in such dire need in the workplace that they're finding themselves succeeding in their own right. And then they can put their own stamp, their own brand on what leadership looks like. And one of the important things to me is that I believe that women have to make the workplace a little bit more user-friendly, not just for women, but for men in this world that is so different than the workplace of the 1950s and 60s. It's funny you should mention that. <laughs> I actually had the opportunity of meeting Stephen Covey yesterday. Oh, great. And he was at the Center for um, for Leadership in New York, mm -hmm. and he was talking about his eighth principle. But he talked about the industrial age and the practices, management practices that were there for the, for the industrial age versus the knowledge worker age that, we, that we're in now. That's right. And, and how we really need to look at being a lot more collaborative as managers, mm -hmm. uh, ability to communicate a lot more better. So what you're saying is, is truly spot on. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that we're beginning to get research back that tells us that putting women in positions of leadership actually can raise profitability of a company. Just as a one small example, when big corporations put women on their board of directors, they actually see increased profitability. And it's not just one woman. Right. Tokenism is not <clears throat> going to do it. Exactly. Uh, in fact, it's not even two women. It's three women or more. Mm. And it creates all kinds of mentorship up and down the corporate aisle. I mean, it's amazing. A collaborative things start happening. And employees throughout the organization begin to realize, yeah, this organization is starting to look a little bit more like I look. And they appreciate that. Well, you know, speaking to that, as you as you might recall, recent story, Carly Fiorini, Fiorini the former uh, CEO of HP, mm -hmm. um, when she was ousted, uh, some folks had some, they didn't have nice things to say about her. However, uh, three years later, four years later, Mark Hurd, who was just fired from HP, uh, one of the key points of the article in the New York Times, it talked about how they realized that he had implemented all of Carly's plans, mm -hmm. and actually, she was a far better manager. And, Interesting. And, and they would love to have her back. So I think that probably what might have happened, my hypothesis is that, you know, she was a very tough manager, but because she was a woman, they probably didn't give her a, 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 a fair shot. But now yeah. they wish that they had. I think that that's probably true. And the very unfortunate thing is we still don't have enough women at the top. I mean, the numbers are unbelievably bad, even in the world of politics, where people assume we've done really well, women have done really mm -hmm. well. Only 18% of all political leaders in our country are women. Right. And let's look at Rwanda, for example. Oh, yeah. Rwanda, more than 50% of their legislature is women. I mean, okay. come on, we should be doing better than Rwanda. Right, right. And how would you describe your leadership style? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think I am collaborative. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think like many women, I don't even necessarily think of myself as a leader. I just mm -hmm. try to take charge. <laughs> 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 and I try to do it in a way that doesn't put off people because... Um, I know that I have a strong personality style, and so I try to 
temper that with my own kindness. And I, I really do think, in fact, some of the top leaders that I've heard over the years from a variety of different industries have said, besides being tough, you need to be kind. And I think that that's really true. So I try to bring both of those qualities to the table. Well, you know, I, I learned a long time ago from a former manager. He says, I'm firm and I'm fair. Um, and he always says, you know, if there's something tough I need to discuss with you, that doesn't mean I need to be unpleasant to you. I think that's really important. You know, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're all people and we all have feelings and we all want to get better. I mean, it, no matter what level you are in a company, or no matter what your job, what, no matter what your education, if you can motivate people, they want to do better. They want to do the best they can. Well, Maddie, we are out of time for this week's interview, but you're going to come back for us with us next week, correct? Great. I'd love to. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I want to thank Maddie Dykewald, the author of Influence, How Women's Soaring Economic Power Will Transform Our World for the Better as our in-studio guest today. Maddie, thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net located on a beautiful campus of Seton Hall University. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great week.